Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Well, hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the Bread of the Word podcast where we go ad fontes to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is as he has revealed himself to us. My name is Tyler, I'm your host, and this is our Easter episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. And in recent years, um, what has happened is I have taken a break from regular expositions to go into the Psalms because where I happened to land that Sunday was not exactly applicable to the resurrection. Um, For example, last year, we were walking through Romans, and so we got to Easter, and the next portion of Romans was submit to the governing authorities, which is not exactly the same thing. But this year, by God's providence, that is not the case. And so we are actually going to be continuing our walk through the Song of Solomon, which ties directly into the incarnation of Christ to um, communion with Christ, to union with Christ. And so, continuing through chapter 2, we are actually going to um, come very close to finishing chapter 2. We started last week with um, this portion. It's a bigger portion, um, but picking up in verse 10... Um, last week we talked about how my beloved is, um, the voice of my beloved is coming. He is leaping over the mountains. He is peering through the lattice, and he, he calls. And now we start with the call of the beloved. It says, My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, and the time of the singing of birds has come. The voice of the turtle is heard in our lands. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. O my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. So we have, we've got a lot of imagery here. There's a lot of uh, metaphorical language here, and this is all good stuff. But just to start off, my beloved spake, my beloved speaks, and he says unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. As we talked about last week, 
he comes he came over the mountains he's leaping over the mountains because he is higher than the mountains this is a picture of christ condescending coming down to us he has come down from the heights of heaven to be reconciled to us the the rebel sinners who went astray and it says that he calls us he beckons us come away and to come away with the beloved christ that's not that's not a friendship scenario that's not the the words of just two people who like being around each other that is this is the context of a husband and wife this is a picture of union that is deeper than friendship this is the deepest union possible humanly speaking that christ beckons us not just to come away with him not just to come away but to come away with him to be with him to be together and this is one of the big things of song of solomon is when it starts in chapter one they are apart it says may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for thy love is better than wine because of the savor of thy good ointment thy name is an ointment pour forth therefore do the virgins love thee draw me we will run after thee the king hath brought me into his chambers we will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. It's all past tense because they're not together. But here, the picture is of being together, of being uni uni united. My beloved is like a row or a young heart. He standeth behind our wall. That he stands in our dwelling place. That we are brought into the house of God to be with him forever. And so we are invited into union. And that is, when we talk about Easter, when we talk about the resurrection and the, the fact that there is an empty tomb, the fact that there is an empty tomb is an invitation. Because we were dead in sins. Spiritually, we were like the tomb, empty. But Christ has come near to us. We who were once far off have been brought near. And the imagery of the tomb is that we can come away with him. That we are no longer dead. We are no longer in our sins if we come unto Christ. If we repent and believe that he is who he said he is. That he did what he said he would do. And that he is risen in power forevermore. Now he, as the creed says, ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Wherefore he shall judge the, the quick and the dead. That he is risen. That we have a risen Christ. And that we can know the risen Christ. So much so that we can come away with him. That we will go where he is. Which is why he ascended in the first place. That where I am, there you may also be. And so his beckon to us, the call of Christ, of the risen Christ, is, Come away with me, my love. Which is a key phrase in the book of Song of Solomon. But, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The winter is past. The rains have come, the, rains are, the storms are over. The flowers appear on the earth. And the time of the singing of birds has come. This is spring. 
this is this is spring. This is the season of new life. This is the season of growth, of of harvest. Noted by the flowers on the earth, by the birds, that this is these are nature elements because one thing Solomon tends to use a lot of is garden imagery and he points us back to the first garden to show us how Christ brings us back back to the beautiful garden with its flowers and its singing birds where there's not fear of predators and weeds and scorching sun but that we are brought into a beautiful garden with the beloved Christ. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing birds is come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. So we went from he peers behind our wall to the turtle dove is heard in our land, indicating Christ is coming back, that we will be with him, not just in heaven, we'll be with him here when he makes all things new we will be with him in the new heaven and the new earth and we will hear metaphorically speaking we will hear the turtle dove the sound of singing birds in our land that things will be brought back to their former beauty that when Adam fell when Adam sinned committed the first sin that all of creation was forever changed. And that's why there are so many negative aspects to nature, such as weeds and thorns and poisonous plants. That these are, in a sense, are a parable. They're illustrating for us the reality of living in a fallen world. But one thing that is devoid in this picture is those things, is the thorns and the weeds and the un... On the unhappy parts of living in a garden. In chapter 1, the bride talks about being dark because she's been out in the sun and she's been neglected. Um, she has neglected her own vineyard to take care of her brother's vineyards. That she is, she's been out in the sun and she is um, very dark because of it. And in that Eastern context, that was not appealing. From, a, from an external standpoint, that was not necessarily the mark of a desirable woman because you'd been out in the field, you're a common laborer. But here we have a different picture. We have a picture of the garden that has not yet come. We have a picture of the garden that we go to in Christ, to the garden that we will be with him in the future. This is what he's beckoning us to. This is not just any garden. This isn't just we go out in the woods and take a hike and know God. But we will know God in his natural environment where there is no death, there, there are no thorns, there are no poisonous plants, that the unhappy parts of life under the sun are forever broken. And we will know God as he is in his natural environment, in a world that is pure, a world that is good, a world that is not defiled by sin and death and wrongdoing. The fig tree, verse 13, putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Again, he says, arise my love, my fair one, and come away. So then we have the picture of the fig tree. 
and we have vines. We have, again, we have garden language, and we have a good smell. The book of Leviticus talks about the, the worship of God as bringing a pleasant aroma. There is a good smell affiliated with the worship of God, with communion with God, that it is pleasing to him, that this is something that brings him joy, something that he delights in, as if it was a pleasing smell. Which makes sense when you add it to flowers, that he his response to genuine praise, his response to his people communing with him is like he's smelling the flowers. And this is not something that speaks to our own virtue because how many times have we departed from God? How many times have we gone our own way? Um, Isaiah 53 says that we all like sheep have gone astray. That we have left the Lord's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Christ the sins of us all. And so for us to have that union, that communion, it's not because of our own virtue, of our own goodness, but because of the character of the bridegroom, the character of the beloved who came down the mountain to come to his bride. And because of him, because of what Christ did on the cross, our union with God, our communion with God, the way we interact with God, is seen as a is perceived as a pleasant aroma that God delights in our praise, not because of how good we are, but because He has passed over our former sins. It says in Amos, "Take away from me the noise of your songs; I will not listen to them." Why? Because they were actively rebelling against God, and then they were singing their songs on Saturday, essentially. And acting like God didn't see the other six days. But God is not fooled by that. God knows us. Not only can we know God, but part of communion is that when we know God, God knows us. And so when he says, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away, these are endearing words. That this is not just... Um, generic, let's go. This is, come my love, my fair one, because he knows us. And because he knows us, we can know him. The, the, the street goes both ways here. And part of how he knows us is in this garden. If we turn over to John 15 for a moment here, we have the picture of Christ at, of Christ as a gardener. It says, I am the vine. I'm sorry. Christ is the vine. The Father is the, is the gardener. It says, I am the vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. So for us to bear fruit, to be 
truly alive, to be truly living, thinking, living beings, is to be connected to the vine. That, like I said, it goes both ways because there is communion here. There is union and communion, just laid on pretty thick in the Song of Solomon. But the reality is that we are the branches. And for us to continue to live, to continue to thrive, is to be connected to the vine. So when Christ came down the mountain, we were not connected to the vine. We were not connected to, to the vine, and we were not connected to the divine. If I can use that wordplay. We were disconnected. We were divorced from our Creator. And so he came down the mountain in search of those who didn't want him. And the love loveliness of Christ beckoned us to come back. It said, come away with me. And so he calls, and he beckons. Verse 14, O my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice. For sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. This is an interesting phrase, because if we look at the book of Exodus, there is a point after they leave Egypt, after Moses has led them out of Egypt, out of the, out of the hand of slavery, out of the house of slavery, and out of the, the bonds there, that Moses goes up the mountain, up Sinai, you know, up the mountain, so we've already got that, that imagery, but he goes up the mountain and he, he tells God, I want to see your face. Reveal yourself to me in this way. He's, he's seen the works of God, but he's not seen the face of God. And the way God responds is, no man can look upon my face and live. Ouch! Like, it says in Deuteronomy that uh, mo there was ne that no man was more humble than Moses. That Moses was the most humble man that ever lived on the earth. But Moses could not look upon the face of God. That was a level of communion he was not permitted. And as it was at that time, no one could. No one can see my face and live. This was part of why the idea of Christ of the word made flesh was so strange because how could God how could God be with us he is so holy he is so pure he is so good he is the ultimate truth the ultimate goodness the ultimate beauty how could we be in the presence of that because Christ emptied himself he took on the humble form of a slave. Why? That we would be reconciled to him through the cross, through the, the tomb, through the resurrection. Because that changed everything. Because the tomb is open. The door is open. We are invited into communion with God. To commune with the God that we should not be able to look upon. And we have been made his people. We have been made his. So much so that we are counted as sons. 
as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And because we are born of God, it's not like it was with Moses, that no one can see my face and live. There will be a day where we do see his face, where we behold the glories of God, as he is. And we won't be cut off by a veil or um, symbols or foreshadows or types, but we will, we will dwell with him in his natural environment, in an environment where sin, the sin that once separated us from God, will not exist. And notice in verse 14, it says, Oh my dove. Well, that word dove in Hebrew is yonah. And the best way we can translate that into English, transliterate that, is Jonah. Many are familiar with Jonah, the, the prophet who ran away. That God told him where to go, and he did not go. He ran away. And his name is Jonah. And it literally means dove. And the word dove is it's a term of endearment. This is it's a, it's a metaphorical way of saying beloved. So similar to how it says in the New Testament, the disciple that Jesus loved, referring to John, you have Jonah, that you could take some, some, liber some linguistic liberties and say the prophet that Jesus loved, the prophet that God loved, the dove of God, his Yonah. And this is how we are referenced. This is how the church, through the typified by the woman, is likened, is re represented as a dove. My dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock. Back to Moses, because Moses could not see the face of God. And so, um, paraphrasing, God said, I will stick you in the cleft of the rock. I'll stick you in this little little crack basically in the side of the mountain and as my glory passes over you will glance my as it says my backward parts my my hindquarters it's a very strange hebrew language there but he gets like the backwash of the glory of god passing over and so likewise my dove thou art in the clefts of the rock that we have what moses had in the secret places of the stairs. And then the voice of the beloved. This isn't the voice of the woman. This is the voice of the beloved saying these things. And he says, let me see thy countenance, thy face. Let me hear thy voice. This isn't just, this isn't the sound of the bride wanting to be close to the bridegroom. This is the bridegroom saying, I want to see you. I want to hear your voice. Because that communion goes both ways. For thy, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. That is how Christ sees his people. And he saw them in this way because he made them so. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The, the, the New Testament uses very strong language to describe our standing before God outside of Christ. We're in debt. We're dead in sin. We're in bondage to sin. 
You don't have language like, thou countenance is comely. Why? Because Christ has declared us that way. We are not made righteous. We're not, righteousness isn't added to us ontologically. We are declared righteous by God. That the way we are justified before God, the way we receive the benefits of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, is that we are declared righteous. We are declared his children. We're not made righteous. We're counted as righteous. And so Christ looks upon us and sees something beautiful, sees something comely. He brought me into the banquet house, and his banner over me was love. That's an earlier, that's chapter 2, verse 4, Song of Solomon. His banner over me was love. That is a military term. That banner is in the military. That That's a signifier. You've got a banner over your head. That identifies a lot about where you are in the current conflict. But we do not have a banner of war hanging over our heads if we are in Christ. Christ has paid our, our ransom. Christ has died for the ungodly. That all, every sinner that comes is not under a banner of war, but a banner of love. That he looks upon us differently than he should. That he looks upon us and he sees his bride, pure and undefiled. And through the work of the Spirit, we are being made that way. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. But the cry of the Beloved is, let me see you. Let me hear you. Let me know you. And in light of that, let us ponder for a moment Psalm 139. And this will be how we draw to a close, somewhat. Psalm 139, um, beautiful psalm. And we've talked about knowing God, we've talked about being known by God. And Psalm 139 fleshes this out in a very beautiful language. It says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy, from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. And if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost depths of the sea. Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me.
the reality of communion with God is that God knows us. One of the, in these opening lines, thou hast searched me and known me. Some of these verbs are what we call imperfect verbs, that they are ongoing actions that have been initiated but ongoing. But then you have complete verbs, like you have searched me. That's done. That's complete. He has searched us completely. But known me is ongoing. And when we are, when we are sinful people, the reality that we are known completely, perfectly, ultimately by God is a scary thing sometimes. That is not always good news because it means that every thought, action, desire, intent, motive that I would keep hidden is open and exposed to the one who knows all things. That the darkest corridors of my heart are, as he says in Hebrews, naked and exposed to his sight. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. To know God is a precious thing. But to be known by him is better than any song could ring. Is better than any praise could ring, nor truest words could sing. To have Christ as my beloved That's the beauty of Easter. That is the beauty of the gospel, is that Christ has made us his. He knows us. He has searched us. He knows us. And he beckons us to himself. And maybe you're hearing that and have not heard the beckoning. Maybe you, you have... Maybe you are listening to this as one who is outside Christ. Maybe you are listening to this as one who has repented and believed and has gone the other way again and he is calling you back but regardless Christ is calling for there is not a word in my tongue but lo O Lord thou knowest it all together there is no escape from God but the but when we come unto Christ with faith and repentance the fact that he knows us is not a thing of terror, but a thing of wonder. Because God knows me. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. And if I make my bed in hell, if I go to the lowest parts of human experience, thou art there. In my highest points and in my lowest depths, Thou art there. Because Christ has condescended. He has come down the mountain to be reconciled to us. To know us and to be known by us. And likewise, we are invited to know God and to be known by God. 
And so I implore you today to heed the call of Christ. To repent and believe that Jesus is the promised Christ who died for sin, rose, was buried, rose triumphantly from the dead, exercising all authority over death, grave, and sin, as a, has ascended into heaven in fulfillment of every Old Testament scripture. Every prophecy was fulfilled, with the exception of the ones that say he will come back. And he now sits at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us. And he invites all that will, all that hear the call, they hear these words of mine, and does them, to come, to come home, to come away with me, my love, my fair one, my dove, my bride. And so this Easter Sunday, heed the call of Christ and come home. Thank you for listening. This has been the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, striving to let the word speak for itself. This ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.